Hello and welcome back to the Sophos Naked Security Podcast. I'm Mark Stockley and I'm not Anna Braiding. You're not? You're not? No, I'm not. <laughs> Definitely I'm not, not Alice Duckett either and neither are you, Greg. I am not. So I'm here today with uh, Sophos expert and geekiest man in the room, Greg Fido Iden. Thank you. I think. I think, it's not, I think it's a positive thing to be called the geekiest man in the room. I, I was disappointed that he picked you. Yeah, so, yeah, it yeah, is. Okay, cool. <laughs> Compliments. Thanks, Mark. Look, this Your is a hell of a room. <laughs> this is a hell of a room to be the geekiest person. <laughs> this is like the beardiest podcast we have ever recorded. <laughs> Thanks for calling what I have on my face a beard. <laughs> and Peter's here too. And uh, Peter, before we came in, I was trying to think about how am I going to introduce you? And it's something like if, if you have a virus outbreak, you're kind of the person that people would least want to see yeah. but but most want to see if, as well if you're talking to me you're having a really bad day generally so <laughs> yeah i mean you're in good hands yeah. it's a bit like the sas or if the swat team turns up yeah like, they're the right people to deal with this situation but you wouldn't have started from here yeah. nobody panic <laughs> but we are calling the emergency services yeah <laughs> anyway as usual we've picked the top three stories from the week to discuss on the podcast so coming up on today's show greg you're going to be talking about an ultrasonic attack and i am so excited about this i've literally used all caps on my script here for ultrasonic attack you didn't <laughs> shout it how come does that mean shout i shouted it in ultrasound <laughs> uh, yes i will be covering that so, uh, Peter, you found something interesting to say about the least sexy thing in computing, backups. Backups, Is that right? yes, I have. How the attackers love backups. Okay, bored already, but I'm looking forward to that <laughs> thanks, section. Thanks, I'll just leave. It's not an ultrasonic attack, <laughs> is it? Let's be real. Um I'm going to be talking about Let's Encrypt. So, Let's Encrypt had a very interesting week last week. Bit of good news, bit of bad news. Uh, but before we get into that, I just wanted to go over some of the other stories in the news last week. Uh, so we're going to attempt to go through this quickly, but this could be interesting with the three of us in the room. <laughs> could be 45 minutes on each subject, so fingers crossed. So I thought we'd kick off with the news that's everywhere at the moment. Obviously, uh, 24-7, the news is talking about coronavirus, and so is everybody that I talk to, everybody that I bump into. And as ever, the criminals are never slow to exploit a crisis, and that's what we're seeing with coronavirus too. So on Naked Security, we've written two stories in the last couple of weeks. Uh, the first was about a phishing scam that uh, created a fake World Health Organization website. And the most recent one was an email trying to infect people with TrickBot. Peter, you know all about TrickBot, don't you? Yes, TrickBot, a worm, um, also classed as a banking trojan, steals lots of money from lots of people and uh, can deliver more devastating attacks in the form of riot ransomware as well. So it's the thing you least want to get by email, basically. Yeah, I mean, typically you get Emotet and then Emotet via email delivers TrickBot, but you can get TrickBot by email as well. So in this case, it was coming in a, this is going to shock you, a word macro. What? Oh, wow, what a novel and interesting <laughs> attack vector. using that for malware? <laughs> for anyone that's, that doesn't actually know about this attack vector, this is something that's been used probably, what, 20 years now? At macros? Least, yeah, at, at least, least 20 yes. years. Yeah, in Word documents. Disable macros, please. So I guess the takeaway from that is if the World Health Organization were going to email you, they wouldn't send you a Word document and ask you to turn on macros. So yeah. if you if you want information about the coronavirus, go to whatever your local trusted source is, so whatever your national, whether you know it's the CDC in America or the World Health Organization. Who? Uh, sorry? <laughs> Still get it. World Health. WHO. Who? It's a joke. I don't know, Pete. I liked it. Please cut that out. <laughs> is the world ready for your coronavirus oh, joke? It's going to stay I'm not sure. right in. <laughs> 
Anyway, slightly more upbeat. Um, uh, last week, the company Carillium took to Twitter to announce Project Sandcastle, which allows you to run Android on your iPhone. Uh, they said, where sandboxes set limits and boundaries, sandcastles provide an opportunity to create something new from the limitless bounds of your imagination. Project Sandcastle is about building something new on the silicon of your hardware. And I read that and I thought they seem to be missing an important thing about sandcastles there. <laughs> when How I resilient think... they are to sort of weather and <laughs> when children. I... <laughs> <laughs> when I think about sandcastles, I, I think about things... It's an impermanent structures that are yeah. very easily destroyed. Yeah. Anyway, Something I wouldn't want to live with. Yeah. They say it's Android on your iPhone, but actually a huge number of features don't work yet, not least making a phone call and audio. Who needs that? So, That's what, the, but so this is currently for people who are dying to run a really broken form of Android on their iPhone. Yeah, but there is a fix to that. You just get an Android. <laughs> I just like the idea of, like, take your phone and make it worse. Like, That's it, yeah. Who needs that feature? Do Who you need a call? bad operating yeah. system on overpriced hardware? <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got the solution for you. Anyway, the final quick story I wanted to cover this week uh, concerns Jim Browning, not his real name. Uh, so the BBC released a documentary about Jim Browning's vigilante exploits. Um, Jim does not like uh, tech support scams. So tech, tech support scams uh, is where somebody phones you and they say, you've got a problem on your computer, and then they use uh, non-evidence to prove that to you, like they show you the Errors in the event yeah. logs, and yeah. Uh, and then sort of terrify you into spending money to, quote-unquote, clean up your computer. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Thousands of pounds as well, on some of them I saw. I yeah. Like, That's insane. I mean, this is very lucrative. This is so lucrative that it funds whole call centres full of people phoning up and making these, uh, perpetuating these scams, doesn't it? I mean, it's a, it's a horrific thing. Um, but Jim Browning uh, had enough of this, so he sort of poses as a victim of these scams, allows the scammers to remotely connect to his computer, and then kind of scurries back up the wire and then hacks them back. And in this one case, he hacked the CCTV of an entire call centre and was able to actually tell them what they were doing as they were doing it. <laughs> oh, So he was watching the, yeah, them yeah. on CCTV he, as they tried to he, scam him. This yeah. is a YouTuber. They are some Yes, yes, yeah, he is. Yes, right. yes, so yeah, he yeah. asked one of them because um, they said they were. I think they said they were in San Francisco or somewhere mm. like that. I forget. And he said, "Well, name me a, a restaurant near you." And um, he was going, "Well, I bet you're just googling it." While he was watching him on the CCTV, googling it. <laughs> That's so good. This was an office. You know, it was a building. Oh, you mean the text of the scanners? The text, well, yeah, yeah. It was a normal office. There were desks. There were cubicles. People come in. There was a canteen. They were talking about their targets. It was well, just their sales, like their, their, yeah. how many people they had to scam in a day. Yeah, and what they, you know, what how they can get more and all this kind of stuff. It, it's a normal office. Yeah. So you you occasionally have to make quite uncomfortable phone calls, don't you, Peter? In uh, the course of your work, I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where are we going? <laughs> no, leaving your private life aside. There's a reason I screen my phone calls. I was just wondering, has anybody ever mistaken you for a tech support scammer? If you you phone up and say, look. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, well, not a tech support scammer. So we. Um, Oh, this was must be about three, four months ago now. Um, there was a victim of a ransomware attack. I forget which ransomware. Um, the IT guy was, was out of his depth. You know, this was not what his organization ever had to deal with before. And I called him up um, saying, we know there's a problem. We want to help you. Uh, and he just didn't believe I was me. He thought I was the hacker. Um, and I, I did point out I didn't really have a... 
you know, a Russian or sort of accent or <laughs> yeah, North Korean accent. That's what a hacker yeah. would say. <laughs> exactly. No, but he, he fundamentally didn't believe that I wasn't the I'm hacker. kind of on his side. Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> on, like, well, you know, better he, late um, than never kind of uh, thing. So I said, well, okay, no, so it's, you're absolutely right to not trust me. I'm calling you out of the blue. So go to our website, find the support number. Obviously, I'm not going to give you the number. You've got to go find it. Um, although he did ask me to give him the number. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he went to the website, the he called support, and unfortunately the support person he spoke to couldn't get through to me. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that just made it even more. So yeah. he hung up on the support person. I called him back, but he wouldn't speak to me until I turned my webcam on and we did a, a video call. And I was literally, no joke, I was holding up Sophos merchandise <laughs> to the camera. Like, here's a Sophos pen, here's a business card, here's some Sophos socks. Um until eventually he believed he I was me, I was working I in software. 100%, 100% on Team IT guy in this Yeah, story. yeah, let's send him some merch. He's my hero. <laughs> so I'm going to kick off today talking about Let's Encrypt. It was an up and down week last week for everyone's favourite certificate authority. It's a good news, bad news kind of a story. So I'm going to do the bad news and then I'm going to do the good news. So in the middle of last week, Let's Encrypt, who issue... Uh, TLS encryption certificates for websites. Uh, it kind of a it's a non-profit that offers a free service to get you uh, free encryption certificates. They announced that they were going to kill off at a stroke three million certificates with basically no notice period. These are certificates for your website. Yes. Yeah. So normally, what happens with Let's Encrypt is it is it a script runs away in the background, and every ninety days your certificate expires, and it automatically goes off says yes you are the owner of this website though you're allowed to have another certificate and it issues you with another certificate what happened in this case is it realized it had issued a bunch of certificates that it shouldn't have done and that it the only thing it can do in that situation is revoke them and if you're because most websites these days rely on TLS encryption and a sort of HTTPS first. That means if your certificate is revoked, your website isn't going to work when people try and connect to it. So effectively what they were doing is they were saying, we are going to switch off your website or access to your website. You need to renew your certificate. Yikes, do we know why? Like why we happened? do, we do. So this is all about a bug. So uh, Let's Encrypt software uh, sits on your, let's say you've got a web server and you're running a website, you have the Let's Encrypt software on there um, and it goes through this process of reissuing certificates every 90 days. Now, if you've got lots of certificates, it can do a kind of batch update. So it will say, all right, you've got 10 certificates, let's do all 10 of them at the same time. Now, what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to check a certificate authority authorization for each certificate that it issues that's the proper process and if it does that you've got a, a certificate a bona fide certificate that's been signed and it's all it's all good and what it was doing in cases where it was uh, doing batches is a bug in the software caused it to check the first one in the batch and then none of the subsequent ones so if it was doing 10 certificates it would check the validity of the first one but not the other nine now, in, in real life, probably what that means is, you know, uh, chances are those those nine are fine and that you are actually authorised to issue those certificates. Um, uh, but the only thing that Let's Encrypt can do in that case in order for the sort of sanctity of the whole system is just to say, we issued those incorrectly, we've got to revoke them. But that sounds an awful lot like we've made a mistake, we have to revoke them right now. They're going now. Tonight they're going 
and then it's gone and your website is off. So you've got to do something. The good news is if you're one of the people affected by that, Let's Encrypt will have emailed you and told you, although you still need to do something. You can't rely on that um, automated process to issue you with the next certificate. You have to go in and run the script and get that certificate issued yourself yeah. because it's happening out of bounds. Do we know if this was exploited in the wild? Like, was did someone bad find this out, or have they just discovered this bug and and fixed it pre uh, proactively? Yeah, because it seems very hard to find. You'd have to, you'd it'd have to be an accident to find it. I would have thought. Uh, so far as I'm aware, this was not exploited in the wild. But I think it's important that it, we're talking about encryption here, and you you mm. have to have all of your fundamentals in place. Yeah. So websites rely on us on a chain of trust. So a certificate authority signs a certificate, which can then be used to sign another certificate, which can be used to sign another certificate, and so on and so on and so on. So that, that when you see that little green padlock in your browser, there may be two or three or four certificates in a chain, each one vouching for the one uh, downstream. I always get my upstream, upstream. and my downstream no, confused. Well, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a there's a big there's a route and there's, there's a stream. A, yeah. <laughs> there's a stream and the encryption is flowing down the stream. stream. <laughs> I'm sure everyone's following us. They totally understand. <laughs> so that, oh, that sounds like it's time to move on to the good news. The good news was, and sadly they got this in the wrong order because the bad news came second. The good news was a couple of days before that, Let's Encrypt was celebrating, rightly, their billionth, billionth certificate i mean good Ooh. news as well they get to celebrate that billionth again very shortly don't they? <laughs> <laughs> two birthdays two <laughs> and do you know what i mean so as someone i actually use let's encrypt quite extensively on like every single home service that i use because it's yeah it's a pretty simple way to get a tls certificate suits my needs i stand up lots of virtual services docker kubernetes you know it's, it's a really handy tool the speed at which they dealt with this, the fact that there was no messing around, I think that they have some connection or at least some ex-Mozilla people there because I used to be on the threads a long time ago when Mozilla was talking about root certificate authorities and when to pull or revoke an entire certificate authority that would issue certificates because they'd done Mozilla being wrong. the company that makes the Firefox Sorry, web browser. That's a really good point, and, yeah. Um, yeah. Also, yeah, yeah. Mark, you're right. Greg is the geekiest person. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what I thought was so beautiful is like how quick they've dealt with this. This is exactly what I would want to see from an issuer of certificates. They noticed the problem, they revoked it, they got on with it, rather than there be any risk to anyone out there and to damage the overall integrity of the trust of that certificate authority, they did the right thing, revoke. And that's and the thing is, if, if you've ever sat on these email threads where, like, the, you know, Mozilla employees talking with Google employees, trying to figure out what do they do to revoke a certificate authority, and there's people going, pull it now, pull it now, that's the right thing to do from a security point of yeah. view. But then there's always that hesitance, oh, but the problem it's going to cause, and I get that, but what What's more important, our security or causing some people some headaches? And I like when I see this. This is the nerd in me, but I like when I see they went with security and good on them because I think certainly it means I have a bit more trust. I'll probably keep using yeah. them. Yeah. And they've probably taken down a load of bad guys' websites by doing this yeah, as maybe. well. Yeah, maybe. Who knows, right? <laughs> it's a, yeah, exactly. So maybe some phishing scams just got yeah, kicked in exactly. the teeth. That's good, yeah. good, good news. I yeah. hadn't thought of that, but yes, if you're running phishing scams, you probably are batching up loads and loads. <laughs> You've probably been loving this Maybe we this should bug. keep this in. <laughs> i tell you what, this... What sort of warms the cockles of my heart is that, uh, so Let's Encrypt turned up in 2014, I think it was, late 2014. Uh, and they had this brilliant idea of making the issuing of TLS certificates not an absolute monstrous pain in the arse, yep. which everybody had been fine with 
up yeah. until that point. Yeah, like a manual process, copying, pasting text into boxes and going through archaic forum forms and yeah. It's horrible I mean, it was experience. like you know, there's a generation of kids growing up now who will never have to go <laughs> and sort of hand over their, their certificate signing request yeah. to some certificate yeah. authority and then wait twenty four hours and then stump up two hundred dollars. When we talk about let's encrypt, I think what's interesting is it's sort of obvious in a way. It's let's encrypt has just become a, a really easy way of doing Taylor. Why would you do anything else? Mm. Yeah, it should always have been this way, and I can't believe it wasn't, and I can't believe we waited decades <laughs> yeah. uh, in order to do it this way. And I was wondering if you guys could think of any other areas of technology, and particularly computer security, where in ten years' time you think, well, you'll look back at what we're doing now, and you'll go, I can't believe we used to do it that. Why did we think that was the right way to do that thing? Caps lock button. Why would we give anyone the shout key? We're going to look back in time and be like, why on earth would we make it easy for them? Make them hold down shift for each and every key. They want to shout so much on the internet. I'm sold. I remap caps lock to control as well. It's absolute heaven. To anyone out there who hasn't thought about doing that, try it. Oh, welcome to a world of bliss. That is a good idea. It is. You're, you don't get that weird little pinky cramp you where you're pushing you little control. You don't look up on the screen and go, oh, I've been writing caps lock for the last minute. <laughs> Does that happen to you a lot? It does. That's <laughs> how so we got the nickname Shouty Pete. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Emails, macro enabled documents, <laughs> passwords. I mean, these are all things we hope we're not doing in the same way. I don't think I'm going to let the cat out of the bag if I tell people when we discussed this previously, you said giving users computers. <laughs> <laughs> you think yeah. there's going to be a bit of a rethink on that whole thing? It, it would be nice, yeah. <laughs> Well, I think it's time to move on. I think we thoroughly solved uh, computing there. So now we're going to. This is I'm I'm so excited about this story. This is um, Greg. You're going to talk about the ultrasonic attack. Caps locks I, on there. It is. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can actually see his notes. It is generally caps locks. Yes, I am going to be talking about a really. I mean, okay, I'm pretty sure James Bond's uh, James Bond's mate Q has accidentally leaked some tech here because this is one of those stories that just sounds like it's been lifted out of a spy novel. So uh, this is basically about Apple Siri, Google Assistant, and Samsung Bixby have basically been hacked in this kind of ultrasonic attack. So this U.S. Chinese university team have devised this ingenious way to remotely control voice assistants using nothing but inaudible ultrasonic waves. That's not actually a brand new thing, but we'll we'll circle back on that. They've dubbed it as well surfing attack which i think is following a wonderful trend in the industry at the moment is that you can't create an attack or exploit without giving it a fancy name <laughs> like otherwise it doesn't exist like Frank, cves are yeah. meaningless now unless it's called like wonky dongle or you know <laughs> <laughs> i can't believe they passed over ultrasonic attack i know they surfing did attack. surfing attack which is strange because i don't know what the surfing was in this surfing waves i guess is that the point yeah, it's got to be waves i guess it? so yeah. but it does require you to know about waves anyway so the attack works by abusing the way that uh devices are designed to detect their own voice saying a trigger word like okay google did none of our phones go off and hey siri so this is for the benefit of anybody listening to this on a speaker at home <laughs> we were actually talking about this last week and we were gonna we were we cut out this bit so that we didn't trigger anyone's phone well, i'm pretty certain and we'll come back to this as well i'm pretty certain that most of them are now trained on people's voices because i can't make like other people's ones wake up it seems to be you have to have like the same voice. Let us know in the comments. <laughs> yes. okay. I'm really and the experiment sorry. Experiment starts now. Hey Siri, Google <laughs> Sophos. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
<laughs> so, so these commands, like OK Google and so on, they're just sound waves. And we've seen researchers use this, in, you know, use inaudible sound waves, basically at a frequency that the human ear can't hear. And we've seen them do this to trigger voice assistance over short distances in the past. Uh, there was this thing in 2017 called the dolphin attack that was pretty much that. You know, you have a speaker, it sends out these ultrasonic waves that human beings can't hear. And it will, you know, your phone can hear it and it will wake up and respond to the command that you did not hear get said. Also a cooler name than surfing attack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dolphin attack. So it's the which third is the best cause... name for this attack. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and they're all much the same. There is something novel, though, about surfing attack, okay. is that the researchers were able to send these ultrasonic commands through solid glass and or like a wooden table. Right, so it's to instead okay. of it going over the air and needing a speaker, they're able to do it by vibrating through a material, which is kind of funky. It makes it a bit more spy-like, and it's easier to conceal something like underneath the table than it is like a big speaker or something that you've got to hide in a room that's going to be making sound. And the phone can still hear these vibrations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just you can't because your ears suck, Peter. Pun. <laughs> um, so this may not sound that exciting. I know a lot of people don't find that exciting, but this is a ma you know a massive evolution in this new scale of attack, like abusing these voice assistants and this idea of is it a massive evolution? I think it is because they. So what they're using is like um, so they use a piezoelectric disc, like a, a basically like a sort of speaker thing, and they can stick it underneath the table. Yeah. Right. And okay, here's a, one of the caveats. There's a few to this attack uh, that it needs to be within about 43 centimeters or 17 inches of the device <laughs> that it's targeting. So close. It needs to be rather close. Yeah, so you, you, you need to be with the person you're attacking, <laughs> yes, basically. Yes, exactly. This isn't a remote attack. This is no remote. Well, it's kind of remote. Semi-remote. I mean, you could have just nicked their phone by this point. But, yeah, uh. but it's about trying to do it, you know, like subtly. It's a spy thing. But, you right. know, if you stick a disc underneath the table, you know, that's much easier to conceal. You could put it probably underneath the person, like near where they're going to sit and they're going to put their device. Uh, and it's then going to sort of send the vibrations uh, through the, the, the surf, uh, sorry, through the, the table. Okay, um, so... so James Bond yeah. walks into the room, attaches his... How big is this piezoelectric disc? I mean, it's gonna. It's, it depends. Let's I mean, say he, like he takes the piezoelectric yeah. disc out of his shoe. I want to yeah. say it's like a Frisbee. Like and a attaches it. <laughs> yeah. Attaches it under the desk in within 40 centimetres of where he thinks the bad guy is going to put their phone. Then he needs the laptop and the Bluetooth device to connect <laughs> okay. to that to he, send the instructions. He sinks his Bluetooth. <laughs> he sinks his Bluetooth. He's got 20 of them and he just puts them all around the room. Yeah, yeah. he's like laser pen, he's electric. <laughs> there is a, there's a point to my question. So and so he does the syncing with Bluetooth, which probably takes 45 minutes or so, because Bluetooth. Um, but once this is set up, so what, what can we... What can James Bond actually do with this thing? So, what he could do, uh, if they, so the attackers, what they did is they connected a laptop to this little speaker that's or this little piezoelectric um, disc that's hiding. Please say the they desk. did it with a cable. Is there a cable no. going from <laughs> It was this wireless. Disc? They used the Bluetooth <laughs> okay. or the Wi Fi's. Uh, and they, what was quite clever is they said that they were generating these commands so via typing, you know, typing the command and then use text to speech software, TTS software to turn that into voice. And then that would then send it to the little, the, the little piezoelectric disc and that would vibrate through the table and then the device would hear it even though humans couldn't it would wake up and then respond to the command and they were able to successfully use this on quite a large number of devices so they tested it on 17 devices 15 of which were successful and okay. this includes smartphones from apple google samsung motorola xiaomi and huawei so it's quite a, a decent spectrum of devices yeah. a week to this so i could basically stick one under the pub table where me and my mate are going out for a drink and I could silently set an alarm for 3am or something like that to annoy him basically. 
So I'm I, thinking I'm going out with him this evening. So. Yeah, yeah. There is more caveats though. I mean, this right. is this again. It's one of those fancy names for something that's got quite a lot of caveats. Um, the other one is it would need to. Uh, you would actually need to have the person's voice that you're trying to wake up the phone because a lot of these devices are trained on someone's voice to wake it up. I think you were, you, Peter, you made an interesting uh, thing when we were talking earlier. You said that, like, if your yeah. wife says something to your Google Assistant, yeah, it will. So, yeah, my wife, so the Google Smart Speaker things, so she has her voice recognized by it, and that means she can go, I'm not going to say the trigger word, um, but where is my phone? And it knows to call her phone because it's her voice, whereas I haven't set that up, so it doesn't, it doesn't know, who you know me. So yeah. So so there's so there is a, there's a, another hurdle for bad guys that want to abuse this. But we are seeing like this emergence of things like Liarbird, which is uh, a uh, kind of artificial intelligence. Um, it's still, I think, in private beta, but it, you know, you give it an audio file of someone's voice, and it will create a kind of digitized version that you can then make say anything that you want. So that's what the researchers used in this case, using the private beta of Liarbird to then create the voice, you Clever. know, pattern. Yeah. So it, there's some certainly some. Novel so if stuff you in this. spoke in ultrasound, <laughs> which this I is do. what you would sound like. <laughs> um, but they were able to do all sorts because this is the kind of the revealing thing about these voice assistants. They're able to like unlock devices, take selfies, make phone calls get the devices to read out text messages including like if they got sent an sms verification code you could just make it read it out loud to you so you know there's a lot of problems i think that are emerging with this use of voice assistance and also in the same way like deep fakes are causing problems with videos and be people being able to sort of fake reality by being able to change a video by you know take a video of someone and then make them look different or put someone else's face on them or move their face differently or mm. you know and now with these ais doing voice you're able to make them say something different that they didn't say so i think that was the thing i found interesting about the story because i had no idea about liarbird ai until i'd see uh, read mm. this paper um but yeah, and then they were able to do some other stuff. Like they, so once they were, um, once they had attack of it, they put a microphone somewhere near the device. Were able to use a voice command, vibrate through the table, get the phone to wake up, turn down its volume, and then start reading out text messages, which then the microphone could pick up. I guess the whole point of these voice assistants is that they can do everything on the phone. Yeah, like they're, they're deliberately. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're set up to be featureful. Yeah. So that you can operate your phone or your. I don't think we call them feature phones system. anymore. Anymore, Mark. They're called smartphones. Feature phones. <laughs> Showing your age there, sir. <laughs> How's your Nokia doing for you? Your Symbian. <laughs> oh man. Uh, and how was the outdoor toilet that you also had there? <laughs> <laughs> well, the phone wouldn't reach that far. <laughs> um, Sorry, Greg. No, no. I'll, I'll wind up this story. I mean, there was, there was, there's, there's a couple of things to note actually. Right at the end, which I found really interesting, is that those, so those two devices that weren't susceptible to this attack. So that was Huawei's Mate 9 and Samsung's Galaxy Note uh, 10. And so the researchers noted that the materials used to construct these devices were actually dampening the ultrasonic frequencies. So I don't Do we know that, if that was deliberate or if that was... I'm going to hazard a guess and say no, but we don't know for a, for certainty. But I imagine, especially given the size of like the Mate 9, the, the Galaxy Notes are quite large devices. I imagine there's a hot, large amount of materials that go into them and, and reinforcing and stuff. Mm. So it's something to do with that. So yeah, they noticed that through material use to, uh, alone in the manufacturing of a device, could be a good protection against these things into the future. Also, they noted that similarly, if you just put the device on a piece of cloth that thwarts these attacks, <laughs> which I think is great, like all of this time, they're like, so if you just put like a, a little, put it on a towel, you know, or just on the table, bam, you just protect it. So I love the idea of like, we all get those like, so, you know, cases. I can't, like, everyone's going to have towel backed cases. So if you're, 
you're if you're a super villain and you live in a volcano yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're planning to take over the world, <laughs> just make sure you put your phone on a tea towel. Always have your towel. Douglas yeah, Adams would be very happy. Like a rubberized cover for your phone that a lot of people have. Potentially, Might do yeah. it as well. Anyway. Yeah. Let's do some questions. Okay. I've got a couple of questions about this. My first one is, why do these devices listen to ultrasound anyway? I don't know anyone who speaks in ultrasound. And I, well, I guess if I did I'm know anyone that now. spoke in ultrasound, I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I, far as I know, none knows, of my yeah. friends speak in ultrasound. So why do, they, why do they listen at those frequencies? That's a really good point. I mean, that could be a good mitigation for it. Maybe they, I mean, I assume it's just the, by the very nature of microphones, you know, just because... The, we design microphones to be able to pick up the human voice and be effective in those frequency ranges doesn't mean that they can't pick up frequencies outside of that range. So, and that's what's happening But I'm here. sure the software could could cut out the things that are outside of the well, I guess the there's no range. need to. So my other question was, uh, I mean, what is the realistic... This is interesting. These, these crop up a lot in Naked Security, actually, where you, you have a story that's, uh, that's interesting. An interesting technological thing has happened. Particularly, I think, the AI, as you were saying. Was it Liabird? Mm, Liabird, yeah. Um, but what is the value in this research? Because nobody nobody in this room thinks that this is a realistic attack. And I'm sure the researchers themselves don't think this is a realistic attack. So what is this for? Shining a light, I think. I mean, I find it, there's certainly some things to be learned from here. Like, for instance, we need to be careful of what we let voice assistants do now with the emergence of AI and also the ability to silently trigger people's voice assistants. That's a potential attack vector. Do we really want to be able to unlock your phone with your voice? You know, or should there be some extra security measures so that maybe those those more risky voice activation features are off by default and maybe moved into a, a you know a additional settings that have to be turned you know on or opt into, opted into mm. um but also i mean the university students i think they're you know exploring novel attack vectors and certainly we'd seen evidence that there was some there was something here dolphin attack highlighted there's something here and so they're now looking at well if you know not just over the over the air but could we actually set, you know send these waves not just through the air like sound but just as vibrations through substances mm. also so this yeah. this basically Basically, version one. You know, they've yeah. discovered it's possible. Now, where can you take it? We may not think this is a believable attack at the moment, but in five years or in ten years, yeah. we're going. Oh my God! Why weren't we using ultrasound ten years ago? Such a good point. Yeah, it's like attacks against cryptography, isn't it? You know, when you find out, okay, it's not going to take a hundred billion years to yeah. crack that hash. It's going to take fifty billion years. Yeah, was it where there's and, smoke, there's fire? Yeah. So the the uh, I think the way that uh, Paul Ducklin puts it is it's the what they've done is they've illustrated there's something wrong with the underlying model. Yeah. So there was something wrong in your original thinking, and now you need to go away and, you know, that that's a warning yeah. sign. I'm going to give some advice because I think there's going to be someone, hopefully, super, you know, spy-like that might be listening to this. So I'm going to give some advice to them. So my advice pretty much only applies to anyone working in, like, high-security environments. You are a spy or you're an individual who's highly likely to be targeted by a very capable attacker. So, uh, one, don't panic because this is a pretty novel attack vector and it's highly likely to never be used en masse. So the vast majority of us don't need to be worried about being hit, targeted like this. Uh, you're far more likely to be scammed with like or attacked by a phishing email. Like that's a way better yeah. attack vector. They're just going to phone this. up and ask for your password. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but perhaps disable your voice assistants, maybe stop using them if you are one of those high security people. As this research has shown, they're an increase to your attack surface. Mm. And, you know, you, maybe you don't want to have that additional risk. Uh, another piece of advice, don't leave your device unattended. I think that should be rather obvious, but especially on top of surfaces uh, that could be used to conduct ultrasonic waves. Especially <laughs> so basically all round surfaces. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't put it on word glass. We know those are bad ones so far. Get yourself a nice piece of fabric. <laughs> this is my final piece of advice. Get yourself a nice piece, a decent piece of fabric, and place your phone on top of it if you must leave it on a strange surface, which, given coronavirus, might be some extra good advice too. So you could you could just cut a piece of cloth and stick it to the back of your phone, yep. yeah. you? And I think just in Douglas Adams's sort of memory, we should all use a bit of towel, so then we can finally explain why you should always have your towel on you. So otherwise, these scary <laughs> As if we needed another sweat. reason to As have a towel did. on us. <laughs> all right, that's me. I think you've well and truly covered that. And that did not disappoint, Greg. <laughs> uh, well, and speaking of disappointment, uh, we're going to talk about backups now, aren't we, Peter? <sighs> yeah, th- thanks for that. <laughs> really great <laughs> intro there, Mark. <laughs> backups are like, they are the least sexy thing in all of computing, aren't they? I mean, they are super, super important. So this is related to ransomware, uh, of course. Um, an article was published this week from Lawrence Abrams of uh, Bleeping Computer, where basically he spotted... On a recent leak from the group uh, Doppelpaymer Ransomware. So Doppelpaymer Ransomware recently started publishing victims' stolen data. Right. There's a few different ransomware groups that are doing this now. They're basically th- steal the data and then threaten the victims. Look, you're, we've already encrypted all your machines. You need to pay. And also we've stolen data and we will publish it if you don't pay. Uh, so it's kind of a growing trend at the moment. And Doppelpaymer have got a, a website where they're publishing all of this. And on one of the recent leaks, Lawrence noticed that there was a username and password for a Veeam backup system. So, Sorry, what's a Veeam yeah, backup system? Many of you probably use Veeam backup. So it is a cloud-hosted backup system. So you can have your... Cloud is just a stupid word for internet. Yes, it's just someone else's computer that you've got very little control over. Yeah, (laughs) And um, you basically use their software, and there's many others that do this. Um, This isn't a dig on Veeam or anything like that. Um, It was just the one that was in the data. So your data gets backed up to the cloud, and therefore it is slightly safer than being on a server in your environment um, in the sense of a, a ransomware attack. Um, and then, you know, you can restore it to your machines if you need to. And what Lawrence did was he emailed the attackers, he emailed Doppelpaymer and Maze Ransomware really? to ask them directly, because um, apparently he's on chatting <laughs> sort of level with them. Uh, he asked them, what do you guys or girls think of cloud backup solutions? And their response was basically, we love them. Oh, Yes. So obviously, <laughs> so that's that's a, that's a negative. If the bad guys go, they love something. Yeah, that exactly. Means this is go, wait a sec. <laughs> so obviously, backups are the last resort for a ransomware attack, and we have said this, I don't know how many times now, but a backup needs to be a true backup. It needs to be offline and off-site. If it's just another computer on your network and maybe you're the only person that's got access to it, that means nothing if your account is the one that gets compromised because then they can just go and encrypt the backup or delete the files before doing the ransomware attack. And this is a matter of routine now, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely routine. 
I think you've told us uh, many times on the podcast before that they'll they'll actually the criminals will break in and go in search of your backups. Yes, yeah. and that's that's on their check, checklist of things to do early on. Yeah, because they know that that's your route out. And it's exactly. I mean the backups not just I'm joking about them not being sexy. I mean they're not obviously, but. Um, I'd, it's I'd be not really just... worried if you found backup sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it depends what they're a backup. I love of. a real nice cab file, yeah. <laughs> um, but they're not just the last resort for a ransomware attack. I mean, they are pretty much the last resort for everything, yeah. aren't they? Fire, like, you know, flood. Yeah. Business mm. uh, failure of all sorts. Yeah, so anyway, so they said, yeah, we absolutely love them. Um, we no longer need to go and find all your sensitive data. You've put it in a nice big package for us. You've backed it up. And given us the credentials to it as well. well. So the attacker's already in the network. They've already compromised credentials, and now they've got your backup credentials, be it Veeam or something else. So no longer do they need to use search terms and network scans to try and find where your financial data is and stuff like that. They go, well, you will have backed it up, hopefully. Um, So now we're going to log into your Veeam backup solution and we're going to use the handy feature of restoring the data. But instead of restoring it to your computers, they're restoring it to their computers. (laughs) So you've packaged up all your private data and made a nice little solution for them to just go restore that to this server in wherever that they control. They don't have to worry about what's in the data. They don't have to, it's not a race to try and find the valuable data. They just click restore, click restore on another one, click restore on another one, just take all your data. Then, of course, they delete the backups and then launch the attack. It's. I read that story and I was like, it irritates me so much when I see the bad guys doing something that is so simple. It is that genius. Yeah. And what's so ridiculous is that this is actually quite a hard thing to stop because it's not like you're not going to do backups. Like yeah. You need to have backups of these systems. Yeah. So they're just abusing a standard architecture of probably every IT environment and out there. You may have various um, rules that uh, try and catch the theft of data, you know, looking for email addresses or, you know, bank card details and stuff being taken off your network. That's not going to show up in one of these scenarios because this is very much expected behavior for your backup solution you're restoring an entire system or all the files from this to a a server that is what it is designed to do so it's perfect so i mean ultimately it is they're using your backup solution against you which is a quite shocking development really Mm. Uh, and it also made me think of another thing we've seen them doing recently um this was the revel or uh, wait Sodonikibi. I finally learned how to say it. Sodonikibi. Well I think that's right. Um, Rebel. Say that two times yeah. fast. <laughs> um, where, Mark, you've heard of Mega? I have. Is this is Kim.com's. Well, Kim, uh, so, yeah, so Kim.com, not his original cloud name. Um, <laughs> Kim.com. Kim. Big from the dot com family before the dot com thing. <laughs> Cash in on that one. What, do, what would he be called now? It'd be like Kim hashtag or something. <laughs> like Kim.com is. That, no, it'd just be at Kim. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. So, so yeah, many, many years ago, Kim.com set up Mega Upload, yep. which was very famous for sort of pirated music and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Um, Mega is, in air quotes, his legitimate comeback, um, where it is, if you're familiar with uh, OneDrive or SkyDrive or, you know, Google Drive, yep. they're all called Drive for some reason, um, where you install it on your machine, you tell it what folders you want backed up, and it will just upload anything, make any new changes you put to files in those folders, and it will upload it to the cloud, as we said earlier, someone else's server. Uh, and it's a, you know, it's, that's what a lot of backup solutions are nowadays. Yeah. Um, so Mega is very similar to that. You install it; it syncs your files. One of the differences is is it encrypts your data on your machine before sending it. So it's now encrypted in transit and up on the the mega servers. And the actual Kim or the Kim's team, they don't have any way of decrypting it. So what we've seen these attackers doing is once they get onto a network and have got admin rights, they just install mega on a file server and just leave it to do what it's designed to do. So if you think about how an attacker if they got into your network, how would they steal data? Would they go and find where you keep that data is? Would they mm. zip it up? Would they email it to themselves? Would they FTP it? Would they upload it to some website? You know, there's a million different methods they can use. Well, now they're using a legitimate application, which traffic will, the network traffic from it will fairly easily you know, blend into the rest of the noise. And not only are they using it to take your data but it's simple they don't have to think about which data they want to stay they just say right c drive or whatever sync this folder and then even than that they just leave it and they could leave that software on there for days weeks months they could just permanently have no plan to uninstall it so not only are they taking your data but it's not just a one-time thing every time you update your data they're going to take a fresh copy of it. And it, you, it's easy to imagine uh, systems administrators sort of stumbling across that and thinking that's, that it's there it for looks real it's a legitimate yeah. thing and that somebody else must have installed it. It's like that uh, story from a few episodes ago where I was uh, talking about pen test partners finding mystery devices on boats, mm. like mystery black boxes, and everybody just assumed that somebody else had installed it. <laughs> um, but it's it's... Much, it's even less suspicious yeah. than that, isn't it? It's just, it's just more living off the land. You know, this technique yeah. where yeah. attackers will use what you already use against you, or will use legitimate software. So now they can come in, they can do things like Mega, just to slowly exfiltrate your data for months if you don't notice, and then. When the time comes, if you're relying on your Veeam backup solution, they can then just restore all the rest of the data to their systems, wipe it, and then uh, launch their attack. Okay, so you haven't succeeded in convincing me that backups are sexy, but you have convinced me... To be fair, I wasn't really trying. That was mainly your words there. (laughs) You have convinced me that they're terrifying. So what can people do about this? Because we... We uh, talk about ransomware a lot, and the last piece of advice for for ransomware is always make sure you've got... uh, good backups you've got off-site uh, backups so that the the crooks can't get to them so it seems to me like uh, cloud backup solutions like veeam are probably a good idea they're the sort of thing they we've are been encouraging idea, yeah. people to do so um lawrence abrams went to veeam to ask them for a comment on all of this uh, and they correctly said that if an attacker has got privileged access to your network 
they are going to cause damage. You know, you've already begun to lose the battle when you've got to that point. It doesn't really matter what solution you're using for security or backups or whatever, the attacker's already in. That's mm. your problem. Okay, so that's what you've got to concentrate on, uh, stop that happening in the first place. But yes, for backups, they recommended the 3-2-1 system for backups. So what that means is three copies of the media okay. on two different systems, one of them offline. Oh, okay. So now you've got your offline and offsite. Uh, you've got a online, more convenient system. Because that's, I mean, most people, most IT departments, they need a quick method of getting the files yeah. back but that's convenient and as we know convenience and security don't always play well together yeah so you have your offline one as well and then three copies of the media um just because you know you don't know what hard drives are going to fail you don't know what buildings are going to get flooded you know it's just a good idea to have multiple copies of your backups anyway and then for the other thing of things like mega so we see a lot of the living off the land techniques so be it they're using Mega, they're using Microsoft Pierce Exec. We've seen attackers installing TeamViewer and AnyDesk and TypeVNC. And then, you know, you don't really imagine a backdoor into your system actually just being someone installing TeamViewer and leaving it running. It's more like it a is. rogue admin yeah. at this yeah. point than a hacker, isn't yeah. it? It's yeah. more like an employee gone bad. Well, that's, yeah. And the crazy thing is, like, it, it, that we talked about Mega in this instance, but that's just one of an example. Exactly. Like, so many organizations use OneDrive, you could use the same you thing, which is different OneDrive, credentials yeah. to a different platform, like a different account. Yeah. And so for any admin, you just see another one of your computers with OneDrive sending data to OneDrive. That's how literally you, how what they do. How would you know? Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Um, so with, well, with Sophos and I'm, other bits of technology as well, you can use features like application control for blocking the use of Mega and TeamViewer and stuff. So none of these applications are wrong to be using if mm. your business does use them. But if they're not ones you use, then just block them because you don't need to use them and therefore you're taking that option away from the attacker. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Peter. And thank you, Greg. If you missed Anna and Alice today, we understand, but don't worry, you can still get your fix thanks to our recent International Women's Day Splinter episode, where they talk about a bunch of stuff, including some hair-raising stories about face recognition with Sophos experts Hilary Sanders and Michelle Francie. Uh, so, guys, where can we find you on social media, Greg? Uh, you can find me on Twitter as at Secbug, and you can find me on Reddit as Secbug. Of course, because you are the Redditest person in the room. <laughs> and I am on Twitter at AltShiftPrintScreen. And if anybody ever meets you in person, you're having a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Mark Stockley. You can find Naked Security on Twitter at Naked Security, unsurprisingly. If you can tolerate Facebook, you can find Naked Security live every week. We're also on Instagram and we're on YouTube. And of course, you can find us at the mothership, nakedsecurity.sophos.com. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and leave a glowing review. Thank you. So, chaps, it only remains for us to say, until next time, stay, stay secure. secure.